Remain standing and let's pray. Would you pray with me? Lord our God, you are our God, and we are grateful for that. And as you have called us together again this semester here at Dort University, we acknowledge you as creator, redeemer, sustainer, and we seek to serve you this semester. And now in this time together, Lord, may your name be praised, and may the words of my mouth um, honor and glorify you and the meditations of our heart as well. It's in the risen name of Jesus we pray, amen. Have a seat. And welcome to new students this semester at Dort, and welcome back continuing students as well. This semester's chapel, there will be a series later on, a book study, small groups, but, but I consider it an honor and privilege to, to kick off the semester together in worship. I want to talk about these two little words, but God. Back in August of 2019, a friend of mine died, David Haney. Those of you who have been in the boardroom near my office know it's called the David Haney Boardroom. At his funeral service, his daughter gave part of the eulogy, and she talked about but God. Because people had said to them, why are you as a family doing okay with this? And she said, we're not. But God is carrying us through. And, and she, after this service, we talked about those words, and she pointed me to a book written by Casey Lute called But God. And I've been studying that for the last five years, and I'm just privileged to bring you a, a little snippet um, and to, to see how this book, which is ultimately a storybook, talked about that before. This book is one story, the story of God who created all things, who allowed us to be his servants, and we messed it up, and he came to redeem it and is coming back to complete it. We're going to talk about this story in those two little words, but God, that pivot the entire story right at the appropriate moment. So we're going to talk about that. But in light of stories, I want to first tell a story about Dort. Um, good news, by the way. This weekend it will get below zero again. But I did the 45-day forecast. I think that this may be the last minus degrees that we have Sunday until after spring break. And so if it's after spring break, yeah, there you go. Clap it. Make it happen. I really believe it. And I'm sorry for those, of, particularly new students from, like, California. I'm sorry. But... Um, this is not a real diamond. This is my headline. Sub-zero temps cause air conditioning to fail and network to go down. Some of you on Saturday, Sunday, excuse me, were like, you dot Dort's not working. Like, the temperatures are going down in our building. Literally, it was an air conditioning failure. It was 30 below outside and an air conditioner broke. Like, that's ironic. I love that. Um, but I just want to point out a few heroes that, that came to our rescue on Sunday. Brian Vendonsalar, Josh Ployme, Josh Dorhout, Jairus Vischer, Paul Cruz, Chad Postman, James Ryler's dad. Literally, they had to figure out how to cool down a room at Dort when it was 30 below outside, and they did use God's resources. They just piped in air from outside. But that literally <laughs> is what happened. Uh, that room was 120 degrees, and computers were shutting down safely, and that's what was causing uh, camp. So air conditioning, you can't make this irony up. Um, so I prom Sam promised in the promo for, for chapel we we're going to have a little contest. So there's six of these, and I'm going to say it this way. Here's our rules. Students are first, and if the students can't get it, then the profs can back it up, okay? So quick little six deal. If you answer correctly with the 
author and title of the book from this story. Again, we're talking about the Bible as a story, so I just want to start us off with a little bit of fun around story. I'm going to put up the first line of a novel. First hand that I see, I'm going to call on if you've got the author and the title of the book. We're going to call out your name. Uh, one of my team's going to write it down tomorrow at the bookstore. There'll be a gift card with Defender Dollars on it. Here we go. Ready? Here we go. First one. Who's got an, an arm there? Moby Dick by Herman Melvin. Your name? Malachi Myers. Malachi Myers is our first winner today. Absolutely. <laughs> Love that. All right. You know, you know how it goes now. Ready? Ready? First arm I see. First arm. Yeah, back there. J.K. Rowling and the Goblet of Fire. We've got a And your name? Petra. Petra's our, net, our second winner. Well done, by the way, in terms of which Harry Potter. I was thinking I was going to accept Harry Potter, but no. She went all the way. We'll add a couple dollars to your Defender account on that. Third one. What's Papa doing with that axe? I see it. Stand up. Oh, no. Give me this. Down here. Okay, I gave you E.B. White. Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. She almost let it go. And your name? Libby. Libby's our number three. All right, here we go. One I've not read, I have to admit. No one? Everybody's Googling this one now. We're going to skip it. I'm a, or profs, you're in. Profs are in. Whoa. All right, we're skipping it. I'm told this is Hunger Games. The opening line of Hunger Games. You guys all watched it. You didn't read it. I understand. I understand. <laughs> Classic. Here we go. Great Gatsby. F. Cut. Your name? Logan. Logan's got it. Wonderful. Nicely done, Logan. Well done. All right. Petra, you're out on this one. Back there. Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling. And that is... Oh! Thank you. No winner on... No, like, you're going to get a prize now? You had to try. Good for you. All right. This book. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we're done. So those of you who answered correctly, there will be a gift certificate at the campus store tomorrow. Thank you for that. I want to bring you through, I want to bring you through, and again, I'm no expert in, in literature. Barb can attest to that. But the narrative arc of Scripture and the, the role that but God, those two little words play, but it starts with in the beginning, God. That's where this book begins. And, and just like any good book, it begins, right, with a setting. It begins by opening up in an interesting way. I don't think any words could be better than in the beginning, God. To invite us into an amazing, amazing story. In the first chapters of Genesis, right, the setting is put out there. Of the six days and bringing all things into being and the spirit hovering over the earth. It brings us in. And then the book shows up and there's a problem. 
right? That presents itself very early um, in the arc of the narrative that, that's called this, the, the plot narrative, the narrative arc of the story, begins to unfold, and there's a problem. And the problem is us. The problem is us. And we begin to see this. And that every story, it's claimed, right, has this arc that has the same arc. And, and what we see is at the top, that crisis point, right? It looks hopeless. All hope is gone. It's dark. But there's a need for a rescue, right? At that pivot point in every story, there's a need for a rescue or a clarification or a solving of the crisis. And that's really where but God comes in to this story. Again, depending on who you talk to, there are between 30 and 75 but gods in this book. There's little pivot points along the way, and we're going to go through some of those this morning, leading up to that ultimate pivot point that is the person and work of Jesus. And I think the but God, if we understand it correctly, can avoid something that I think I struggled with for a long time. Who is God? Yes, but God, but who is God? And I think there's two dangers that we have as modern Christians who think that we are the center of the story. We either put God as what might be called a clockmaker God. Yeah, okay, in the beginning God, he started it up, but he's pretty much left it alone since, and we're in charge, right? That's called deism, that clockmaker God who just started things up and backed away. I think a lot of us are walking around with that in our operative mode of who God is, that somehow he's very distant. At best, he started it up, Worst, he might come back and set it right, but until then, we're on our own. And, and I don't want you to have that as your picture of God. A second, I think, unduly popular picture of God is somehow as sort of this angry referee, or maybe mean-spirited father or grandfather who's just waiting to throw a flag when we mess up. And if we look at but God in either of those two things, under the first one, that deist clockmaker God, but God probably doesn't function. And so hopefully these two words can help you understand that that is not a real picture, that is a caricature of a God who is this distant, away from us person. And if we rightly understand but God, I will just tell you that in my life, five years ago, when one of my dearest friends, who I'd only had a friendship with for about three years, died, and I miss him every day, these words helped me come to peace with it, live with more joy, be more restful, and I want that for you. And so that's why I'm introducing you to But God in this way today. James Montgomery Boyce, pastor of, of a very famous, large Christian church in, in, in Philadelphia called 10th Presbyterian Church wrote these, this about these two words, but God. May I put it quite simply? If you will understand those two words, but God, they will save your soul. And that's been my experience, and I want to share that with you this morning. If you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform your life completely. And I do believe that we're all on this quest 
we know that God has created us a little lower than the angels and, and, and given us his image. And we can do amazing things. But the idolatry that comes and the mistake that we make is then putting ourselves in the place of God. But I think we're all, sometimes daily, but I think surrendering ourselves to the God who is not that distant clockmaker God and not that angry referee who's just waiting to catch us, but a God who loves us, who didn't allow us to try to do it on our own strength, but does it for us and we participate in his redeeming of all things. That's the God that I want you to fall in love with as Dort students. So let's look back at this, this arc of a story, that narrative arc again. And, and what's said about these two words, but God, as the fulcrum, as the pivot point of all of history, and that's the coming of God again in Jesus Christ, on the left side of that pivot point is man's struggle, right? And that's why the story of Scripture is so compelling. That's why every story that's ever been told generically follows this same model. Because we're engaged by it. It, it captures our attention. And I think that, that everything to the left of the but God is about us and our striving and our trying to please the referee or to put ourselves to, to, to fix the clock that God set in motion. And it's not that way at all, but it is a struggle. And the struggle is real, and if we're honest with ourselves, when we finally give up on that struggle and accept the but God, then we can move to the right side of the story and live in that joy and that rest and that peace and be able to say, like Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. And I will someday see him in my flesh. If you don't know the story of Job, you need to understand it. A person who had everything going for him. And Satan said, he only has everything going for him because it's easy. That's why he loves you, God. And God said, let's see. And Job was faithful. And through that struggle on the left side, came back and said, but God. And that's the way we need to live. So, let me just show you throughout this entire book the various places. Again, depending on how you read the syntax of but God, it could be up to 75. I'm, I'm going to say there's more like 30 or 40 really important but God pivots in this book. I'm not going to share them all with you, but I want to give you a sense of them this morning so that as you go back and get into small groups or do your daily devotions, you, you, you have new eyes to be alerted to the but God pivot points in each one of the stories. So the first one here in Genesis 8, the story of Noah. If we think about this but God and to the left, we see that since leaving the garden, Adam and Eve have sort of made a wreck of it. And Adam and Eve's descendants have sort of made a wreck of it. And they're on that story arc trying to do it their own way. And God finally gets fed up. He says, I'm done. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to blow over the earth and the water subsided. That's a but God that we should all remember regularly when it's a summer day and we see the rainbow in the sky. That should immediately say, God, you were good to Noah and the beasts and you're good to me as well. It's a but God pivot moment in the story. But it wasn't the final one. 
Joseph. The story of Joseph is probably the best but God story in all of Scripture. It actually appears several times in the book of Acts. In the early church, they're recounting the old stories. And it says, but the patriarchs hated Joseph, but God was faithful to Joseph. So it's even echoed back from the book of Acts to the last chapters of Genesis to talk about Joseph. It's a wonderful piece in the story of Joseph where he's brought before Pharaoh because Pharaoh had heard that Joseph could interpret dreams. And Pharaoh said, tell me, Joseph, you can do it. Read that little passage. It says, I cannot do it, but God will make it clear to Pharaoh what is meant by this dream. Even though God had enabled Joseph to be an interpreter of dreams, Joseph didn't take credit for it. He didn't put himself right in the middle of that story when he could have, in front of Pharaoh, one of the most powerful people in the world. He said, I can't do it, but God will do it. And then lastly, this wonderful pivot from the end of the book of Genesis, where everything's being made clear to Joseph's brothers, that God has been faithful to them through years of famine and back and forth and being scared to go back to Egypt. Joseph says this, as for you, you meant evil against me. And a pivot again, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Wonderful pivot. And if you don't understand the story of Joseph, go read it and look for those but God pivot moments and the, the faithfulness of Joseph, even in the midst of a real struggle all the way through. Later on in the, in the story of, of, of God's people, in Nehemiah, Things are being rebuilt. The Nehemiah story echoes back a but God moment. It talks about how the Israelites were unfaithful to God. They were a stiff-necked people. They continued to kick God in the shins after he saved them from this and from that and from this and from that. They still abandoned God. But Nehemiah reminds us, but you are a forgiving God. That is not the mean-spirited grandpa who wants to catch you doing something wrong. That is a loving God who time after time we abandon. He's a loving God, a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and therefore you did not desert them. Another wonderful but God moment from the pages of Scripture. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, and wants to tell his own story wants to go to the left of the but God. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he says, I've done them, every one of them. And he says, sell all you have and follow me. And the rich young ruler said, I can't do that, and walked away sad. And the apostles were saying to Jesus, what's that all about? Why did we have to send him away sad? And Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. And again, that's that striving that we're all about. But with God, all things are possible. A few more, very, very quickly, just to have you practice that new habit of reading Scripture with a but God set of lenses on. Whether it's the Red Sea, whether it's in Acts, I love this one. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God. But God raised him from the dead. That's the gospel right there. But God raised him from the dead. You see the other ones in 1 Corinthians, two places where we, we, we see the but gods. 
both C.S. Lewis as well as Augustine have, have told us this about the striving on the left-hand side of the but God. Lewis says, all that we call human history is basically on the left side of the but God. It's all of our strivings and all of our tryings. It's a terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. And Augustine said it this way, right? You have made us for yourself. But we try it on our own to the left side of the story. And our heart will always be restless until we get to the other side of the story, the right side of the but God. George calls itself an institution of higher education committed to the Reformed Christian perspective. What does that mean? The faculty talked about that over the break together. One thing it means is if you're going to be a campus chaplain at Dort, you need a beard. I just couldn't resist putting these up, Sam. Like, I know you want to be in the pantheon of great reformers when you die. Like, Sam's beard's better than these two dudes. Um, who are they? So, the guy on the left that looks most like Sam is, is Zacharias Ursinus. He wrote the Heidelberg Catechism. The guy on the right is a guy by the name of Guido de Bray. Guido, like that's a great Dutch name. No. Uh, Guido de Bray. He wrote the Belgic Confession. And when you walk from the campus center into the science building, immediately to the left, there's a great piece of art there. It's from the Belgic Confession, Article 2. I'd encourage you to read that this semester as you walk often because it's cold, through that way to class. The Belgic Confession is written there. Guido de Bray, the guy on the right, wrote the Belgic Confession. In both the Belgic Confession as well as the Heidelberg Catechism, there's these great portions there that talk about this but God pivot. It's called the providence of God. And I want us together as we start this semester to affirm these truths from the Heidelberg Catechism. So I'm going to read the question and then I invite you all to answer together. So what do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures. So God's rain and drought, faithful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, Indeed, all things come to us, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Thank you. I understand that people that want to follow Jesus sometimes find doctrine sort of old and dusty. And sometimes a kick on doctrine is, well, there is no doctrine, no creed but Christ. And the Bible is the only thing I need. Well, I want to point out that this doctrine comes from Scripture. You see the annotated footnotes there. That doctrine is not a made-up thing by man, but rather it's taken out of Scripture and all these points. There's this story that's behind it, that God is not a distant clock-making God. And God is not an angry referee. God is a loving God, that everything is brought to us as if by his fatherly hand. And I want you to be able to rest in that assurance. I don't know what this semester holds. Many of you are still mourning Emma Nibbling. We prayed for you as you drove back to campus because it's just 12 months ago that Emma was driving from Laverne and never arrived at campus. I don't know what this semester holds for us together. 
but I do know that there are going to be moments where you're going to doubt if there's a good God behind it all. And I want you to hear these words that we said together just now. Because doctrine, yes, brings the truths of Scripture to us, but again, they're not dry and dusty, and they're not rules we have to follow. The reason that we have doctrine is this, and this is question 28 from the Catechism. Why does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? And again, would you say it with me? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, can have a full confidence in a faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Again, I know I'm a little weird, but I love doctrine. And I don't love it because it's theoretical. I love it because it's the most practical theology you could ever have. Yes, there's this big thing called the providence of God, but why do we love it? Because when things are going good, we can point to God. And when things are going bad, we can trust that it's going to come out well in the end. That's the nature of doctrine. That's the love of the providence of God that, that sounds very dry and dusty, I know, but comes to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's where I want to end today, is, is for you to realize that we are living, yes, in the, in the left side. We continue to live in the left side at some level, but Christ has come and has already won the victory, but it's not yet completed. We're on the right side. And it will be completed and it will be put to rest. There will be a last page. And it says on the last page of this book, come Lord Jesus. And it said, amen, I am coming soon. I want you to live in that hope, not only this semester, but for the rest of your lives. And I'm going to end on this. And worship team, you can come back up. I want to end on this. The best, I think, but God pivot point in all of Scripture and you were dead. That's a reality. That's the left side. You had enough life that you can strive and try to do it on your own, but you were dead. That's the diagnosis of our hearts. You're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And this is the best but God in all of Scripture. But God, being rich in mercy. And why? Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together, permanently and forever, with Christ Jesus. Have a great semester. Let's sing together.